0: Coming up on the talk show, we have a great show for you. The NBA season is in full swing. Football is week eight already, I think. All those games are covered, obviously. We talked about the Eastern Conference. We talked about the Western Conference, the Denver Nuggets, the New York Knicks, Knicks and Bulls tonight, Thursday night football tonight. So much going on. All that is covered coming up next on the talk show. Welcome back to the talk show, episode 51. We have a great show for you today. Um, and in this episode, we got a lot to talk about. Now, I truly think it is the most wonderful time of the year. I've tried to look back. I think I said this maybe four times already on the podcast. This might be the fourth that it's the most wonderful time of the year. But here's why it truly is. It's the only time we have all four major sports on. We have hockey and we won't get to hockey today. I know. I'm sorry. Um, we have basketball, which we'll definitely get into football and obviously the MLB World Series is going on right now as we speak. So it really is. The four major sports are all in play. It is the most wonderful time of the year. Now, a year ago, I was putting out two podcasts a week or not quite a year ago, but I guess this time last year on the football season, recapping the games and previewing the next games. Now, a couple of things have changed since then. And you haven't heard my voice in about a week um, since pre-NBA season. And that's mainly because right now I'm not trying to just put out as much content as possible like I was then. It was just a blitz content, content, content. I didn't care. Good, bad. Just put it out there. At this point, I'm trying to focus more on stories and try and give you guys stories. And obviously, the, the sports itself is the story. And that's the biggest thing. The sports is the story. I'm just here to bring them out and to articulate them to you guys. Um But at the same time, I'm not going to try and force stories. I talk about this a lot on the last few episodes, people who are content creators and trying to push fake storylines. So in the future, as the football season moves on and it's going to be middle of the season, basketball and hockey, but baseball is going to be over and it's really just going to be the football. I'm not just going to run through the slate of games every week, although some weeks I may do that. But I'm trying to get more guests in here, come up with more stories to talk about, maybe read some of my articles. Stuff like that to keep it interesting and not just, hey, let's hear what he has to say about football, although I also am going to do that. Um, so like I said, there's a lot to talk about, plenty to talk about uh, today with basketball. We're about a weekend now, um, and obviously the football season is in full spring, and we could talk about which teams are good, which teams are bad. And maybe in about a month, I guess, or maybe a couple of weeks, we'll see how, how it goes. But I'm going to start ranking the teams, tell you who I think is legit, who's going to be Super Bowl contenders, who's not, all that stuff is going to be coming on. So there's a lot to talk about, a lot of fun stuff. And let's get right into it. And we'll start with the NBA. The NBA season is now about 10 days old. Happy birthday, NBA season, 10 days old. But it started, at least for me, on Wednesday night last week at Madison Square Garden. I was there in attendance for the Knicks. And it gets, it, that's as crazy as a home opener can get. Um, that's as epic as a home open, opener can get. When it's one of 82, you think, okay, it's just one game, right? So I went into it with the mindset. I didn't travel to Boston for the Yankee wildcard game because if they lost, I would have been devastated. But traveling to New York for a regular playing one of 82, regular season basketball game, I did do because, because the consequences aren't so high and I knew I'd enjoy it. And now people thought that, okay... The Knicks should have won this in regulation and they're starting to nitpick what went wrong, what went well. I'm not gonna go ahead and do that because I might a little bit, but I'm not gonna go ahead and do that right off the top because I'm happy it went into overtime. If I had left, it would have been like fun win, fired up garden, the place was fun, Fournier was great, Randall was great, all those things. And you walk out with a win. About 40 minutes after I thought the game would end, it did end. And in those 40 minutes, that was one of the craziest things I've ever seen. The first overtime for the first two minutes when no one can miss a shot eight straight buckets back and forth back and forth the Knicks hit four straight threes Celtics had help with a free throw that was insane and what was more insane were the missed shots afterwards for the next three minutes nobody could hit a shot for the next three minutes of the first overtime and you're going absolutely nuts Evan Fournier comes alive Barrett comes alive in the second half all those things going on um and it just felt like a special night and if you're like hey, why are you freaking out? It's one game. Look at Nick fans outside the garden. Now they've played four games, right? They're three and one. They lost to Orlando. How good are they really, right? Listen, the Knicks fans have every right to freak out. And I, I, I've started taking screenshots already of stats that uh, Tommy Beer is throwing out there, for example, that I was sending to my father five games into the season last year. So five games into last year was starting to feel special. And that's when we had zero expectations. It's starting to feel special already now. And the improvements that this team has made, what they've built on from last year, are clearly impacting the way this team is playing. And you could see it's on the floor every single night. Randall is a legitimate superstar. That's what you got to start with. He is a legitimate number one. He sets the tone early. You see in the first four games of the year, he takes shots early. A three-pointer, a jumper, makes a big play early on a pass or whatever it is. He's controlling the game early. And then he understands the ebbs and flows of the game and flows in and out with it he picks his spots where he wants to be a scorer where he wants to be a facilitator where he wants to just take a break a little bit and let other guys do their things and help his teammates get involved but he's constantly controlling the game and that's what the best players in the league do that's what you see guys like Giannis and LeBron and KD do for their teams and I'm not saying he's at that level yet but he's the level below which is a superstar superstar NBA player and Randall, after he struggled in the playoffs last year, he gets the big extension, although I think he's underpaid. He took a hometown discount, which he wants this team to continue to build. He understands that maybe one superstar is not enough to win you a title right now in the NBA. And we'll get to that a little bit later, and we'll see how the season goes, because the season is so unpredictable. And It's been four games, and so much happens over the course of a season. But at this point right now, he came back, and he's, you know, Tibbs is talking about how he's hungrier, and he wants to get even better than he did last year and last year he was already the most improved he could win the most improved player again this year if he continues to do that um, and continues to be that guy now he won't win the most improved again because everyone now expects it from him a little bit but I do think in the limited time although he has not been insane with the numbers or shooting percentages or any of that I think if you watch the games I think Julius Randall has taken another step and he's being helped there's there's a lot of help on this team Um, When it's a guy like Derrick Rose understanding his role, he said today he's like Tom Brady at this point in his career. He's just got to keep his body right, stay healthy and enjoy the game. He doesn't care to impact the game like he used to care to drop 30 every night. He doesn't care. He'll score 20 points in 20 minutes off the bench. And you have guys who can create their own shot like an Evan Fournier. I mean, you see in the early season how impactful he has been to the Knicks on offense it's insane how Kemba Walker even obviously the last game against Philadelphia he was extremely impactful Um, RJ Barrett and how he's come alive OB Toppin and how he's come alive and Tibbs it's his job to make this all work together to kind of be the ringmaster for all these different pieces and put it together and he's done an incredible job of that and Tibbs gets a ton of credit for this. Tibbs and the media, by the way, New York, the media is crazy. And Tibbs has such a control on it. They ask him about you are playing this guy too much. You left your starters in too much of that, that time. He says back to them, you know, I don't know. You're going to tell me this guy played too much. And then I come in a different game and I take them out early. You say you play them too little. All I know is it's never right. It's never just right. He's always what he says. He said, you know, they asked him, are you happy after the first game? He's like, I'm never happy. You know, he's playing to the media and he's playing to the New York media, which is what you need. And obviously, when it's going well, it's good. But this is the type of guy who, whether they're on a skid or whether they're going to be doing well, he's going to keep it even keeled. He's going to keep the same mindset and keep this team focused. And what's incredible about this team is they all have that same mindset. They're all hard workers. They're all team players, something that you don't see anywhere else in the NBA. Derek Rose currently leads the league in plus mi- in plus minus in the limited minutes that he's played he is the most valuable guy one of the more valuable guys i should say on this team in very limited minutes because of how they're managing him and how tibbs is managing him Obi Toppin, and when he comes in they change the whole offense all of a sudden they start running they start running at a quick pace to get the most out of him and he gets the crowd going and when you're at home and he gets a couple alley-oops and he gets going in transition it changes the game it shifts the momentum nba basketball is a game of runs and when you can Create a couple of runs because this guy is just having so much fun out there and lifting the crowd and lifting his teammates with him. That's something that's really special. That's something that Obi's doing while he's still growing and developing into a real well-rounded NBA player. That's something that's really important. Another thing with Evan Fournier, he maybe he can be the second star on this team. You don't need him need him to be an absolute superstar like Randall. You just need a guy who can create shots and make big money shots, and he's been doing that. And we know what Kemba Walker can do at times, and you know. It's not going to have to be every single night. It's going to be a different guy on a different night. And when you, you talk about the different, um, just the understanding of what this team is all about, you see Evan Fournier on his Twitter retweeting different things that fans are posting. Obviously, the video that went viral, bing bong, and he writes bing bong on his Twitter after the win against Philadelphia. Like He gets it. He obviously understands New York City. He understands this crowd. He understands the team and the team aspect of it. That's really something special. Not a lot of guys have that and we had that last year and clearly the Knicks already have it this year and the guys from last year are taking notice I saw Reggie Bullock is retweeting things from the Knicks Theo Pinson both guys who are no longer here obviously a huge part of last year and maybe not their contributions on the court but off the court they still feel like they are part of they are a part of that unit that family that we've created here in New York and that is something that's really impressive you don't see that other teams in the league you don't see the T-E-A-M real team and the question is can a team win and can depth win? And that's the biggest question for this team. Can they stay healthy and, and can depth overcome anything? Because I think if they stay healthy, they have better depth than anyone in the NBA. One, Not one through five, but one through ten. And those guys quickly coming off the bench. RJ Barrett, if he takes that next step, we know he started slowly in the first two years of his career. So it's not a huge shock they starting slowly in the third year of his career. But if he's consistently making those mid-range jumpers and those three-pointers and he can continue driving to the rim, something that I've noticed with him is his improved passing when he passes it inside, especially to Mitchell Robinson, who is a huge different difference maker. Now, he is shooting over 80% from the field. And it was something crazy, shooting over 80% from the field, and I forget what the other number was, or I think 10-plus rebounds. So double-digit rebounds and plus over 80% from the field so far in four games. The only other guy to ever do that was DeAndre Jordan in 2015-16, I think it was, when he was a first-team first NBA center. So Mitchell Robinson, don't forget his impact. Before they did anything else with Kemba and Evan Fournier, Mitchell Robinson not being there last year and being there this year is already a huge jump. And if you look back to the playoff series, my father talked about this all the time. That's going to affect how Clint Capella and Trey Young played that pick and roll. Mitchell Robinson being there in the middle really affects that. And yes, Kemba and Evan Fournier are not the defenders that Reggie Bullock and Alfred Payton were. But they're also not the dead ball guys that they were. And there was also another stat that Tommy Tommy Beer put out there with them scoring threes. And then being able to shoot and listen, the Knicks are going to evolve as an offense. They obviously want to shoot a ton of threes this year. They tied the record. The record was last year, 73 threes made in the first four games of the season. The champion Milwaukee Bucks had that record last year. Now the Knicks have tied that record with 70 of their own this year. And obviously the Knicks, that's an emphasis. But once they start to drive to the basket and that really opens up the floor for them, for all these guys to be able to become playmakers that's going to be huge. And them to be able to move in transition also. So I think them setting the tone as a three-point shooting team and then starting to work around that as teams try and adjust to them, that's going to be huge for this Knicks team. And nobody can match their energy on a nightly basis. That's something that's still huge for them. Um, I will say Stephen A. Smith, I don't love his takes always, but he had an incredible take. Stephen A. Smith went on the air and he talked about the Knicks versus the Nets and how the Knicks are New York's team, obviously. No one's debating that. But he went back in time and he said, you know, the Knicks fans at the time they wanted, uh, they wanted Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and James Harden and whatever that when they were coming in free agency. And all the it was really the executives and the TV people and who thought that that's what the Knicks fans wanted. And look, the Knicks fans have not rallied behind that. They have rallied behind a bunch of guys who you didn't expect that would be great. A bunch of guys who work hard. There was an incredible article on the ringer about Emmanuel quickly and his mindset and how hard he works. Those are the guys that New York fans are going to rally behind more than if they just took a couple of superstars. And the expectations were really, really stealing high. So the fact that you're seeing these fans go crazy and have a rallying cry, it's because this team represents everything that they love. They work together. They play for each other. It's a family. It's a team. And that's something that's really special. And I think they're the only team that has that in the league. And like I said, health, 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 That is the only question for the Knicks. And the other question is, can depth win in the NBA? Now, we saw it kind of with Milwaukee last year. They had one huge superstar and then a bunch of really solid players. This is a team that, like I said, 5 through 10, they're going to be better than any other team in the league. Give me the Knicks bench over anyone. And their starting five is good enough. Maybe 48, 40 minutes of Kemba Walker isn't great, but 20 minutes of Kemba and 20 of Derrick Rose is a great combination. Can that win? We haven't seen anything like that, but can it? Can Alec Burks and uh, RJ Barrett, that combination work? And mixing and matching and knowing when to play the right guy and who has the hot hand, Kemba's talked about it. Derrick's talked about it, about how Tibbs, they trust him. They want him to make those decisions. Those are guys who at some point in their career, we're superstars in this league, and they want to take a step back to the team as a whole. That's a mindset that you buy into. Nobody else has that in the league. Now, an interesting point that I did make, depth can be a great thing, and it can be a terrible thing. Look, we saw guys get hurt over the course of the NBA season. It really derailed the Lakers season with AD and LeBron going down last year, right? Um, obviously, Clay Thompson been hurt the last couple of years, derailed. Uh, the Warriors um, if you look at the Kyrie Irving and James Harden injury last year injuries kill everyone obviously Trey Young in the playoffs last year that totally knocked them out against Milwaukee maybe the Knicks can sustain an injury or two because they're not so reliant heavily on one guy now if you're talking about how depth is the key to the team maybe they can't sustain any injuries because you need one through ten to all be healthy so I don't know you could ask it both ways, but it's just a question that occurred to me, and I, I thought about that and sharing it with you guys. I'll throw it out there if anyone has any answers. I'd love to hear. Moving on to the rest of the NBA, because this is not a Knicks podcast. This is a sports show, uh, talk show. It's a sports podcast. Um, yeah. Steph Curry is awesome. Um, The Warriors started off really hot. Now, I didn't know what was going to happen because, again, they were, what, an 8 seed last year, or a 9 seed, maybe a 10 seed. They ended up playing and losing to the Lakers in the play-in game. So obviously they were hot. Steph Curry was went off at the end of the season. But did they make any real improvements that everyone was so high on them coming into the season? And then I watched them, um, and I see the way they move around on the court. They are a team that it doesn't matter what the individual talent is. It, it helps that they have a guy like Steph Curry, a guy like Draymond Green, and bringing a Godala back who understands the system. But that team, every team, should sit down and watch the Warriors play offense because of the way they don't stop moving – and when you have a superstar who's going to be setting screens for other guys like Steph Curry, who's going to be passing it to other guys like Steph Curry, that is the most selfless superstar in the league. We he, After his triple-double in the opening night of the season against the Lakers, he goes, yeah, I played like crap tonight, but we overcame it. He had a triple-double. I mean, Russell Westbrook would have been reading off his stats if he had that type of game. James Harden, the same thing. So you think about a team like that that is so predicated on just moving around and sharing the ball and not stopping to move and letting everyone get involved. And now the, the defense is squirming to try and cover everybody. That's what makes a team special. And then you have the guys like Steph Curry and maybe Klay Thompson when he comes back, who we know can take over a game at any point. So maybe that is what makes them special. Now, I'm not one of those guys who thinks Klay Thompson is going to come back and immediately be the Klay Thompson we all remember. I don't know how realistic that is, right? We haven't seen the guy in two years. So maybe he'll take a little time, but he can take his time because the way this team runs and this way, the way the team runs, they have the perfect pieces in position to run the way they do. So even though maybe the individuals aren't great, but the team as a whole, especially with Steph Curry, that could be a really special team in the Western Conference. And I think the Knicks are a team that should be watching them. The Knicks, a team that's trying to shoot a lot of threes, a team that's trying to get movement, a team that already has that mentality of, team, 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 they should start looking around and watching how the Warriors play and they could see how they move and they start to run around and start to create offense because they're just creating so much chaos in the back screens. And Tibbs, obviously, is a defensive guy. We know he's not the offensive genius, maybe. But I really think he could look at Steve Kerr's offense and say, hey, guys, that's something we should try and do and we should buy into. And I think the pieces on the Knicks would be a really good team to try and replicate that. Now, one team in the West that I did not talk about that I missed when I was talking with my father is Denver. And Jokic is really good. Jokic is primed, in my opinion, to win the MVP again this season. He's that talented. His passing is another level. He obviously needs to improve a little bit on his defense, but he makes it so hard for other teams. And if you have to talk about a team that might be the best team in the West, because I said, I don't know, Lakers, unknown. Like I said with the Warriors, is the clay unknown that comes into it, even though I think the Warriors are great. The one team that I didn't talk about in the Western Conference as a team that could and should be just a lock them in right now, top four seed hosting a first round ser- a first round series in the NBA playoffs is Denver and they're that good. In the Eastern Conference, Trey Young is every bit as awesome as I thought he'd be. And you really see all those guys coming into their own. They seem to have like four guys who are both shooting guards and power forwards at the same time. They're kind of like stretch four wing players who are like six foot 10, six foot eight and also hit threes, but could also bully a guy down low. That team has so many different pieces. And some nights, those guys just disappear, and it's the Trey show, and that's fine. We saw that like over the course of a regular season, that's going to happen. And you have a superstar like Trey Young, so you can survive and sustain those, those types of games. But that team is so special, and they're just every bit as special as I thought they'd be. And watching them through the first four or five games of the season, they've proved what I've thought. Now, here's the thing. Certain teams care. It's very early in the season. And so because it's so early, certain teams are going to look better than others. Now it creates storylines. And that's what people in the media like to talk about is the storylines. But for example, the Lakers and the Nets don't care at this point. They're like, hey, we're going to be there in the end, right? Whereas the Heat and the Bulls, teams that are trying to prove something, brought in big players. The Knicks you could throw in there. They care a lot and they're trying really hard. Now the Knicks, we know they're going to try hard for 82 because that's what Tibbs does. But take the Lakers, for example. Westbrook looked better with LeBron out. And that, that's not to say that LeBron is hurting him. That's just to say Westbrook is a ball-dominant player. And when he has a chance to dominate the ball and hold the ball on every single offensive possession, he's going to look great. And you know what? LeBron's like, hey, that's why I can sit out more games this year. Now, I don't know if LeBron, I'm, I feel like I'm preaching like to a little kid, but you didn't learn your lesson. Last year, LeBron cried about being the number seven seed. Well, if you don't want to be the seven seed, don't sit out 25 games, right? So LeBron obviously didn't learn that because two games into the season, he decided he's going to take a bunch of games off. And people are like, oh, he's injured and he's still coaching on the sideline. First of all, my brother-in-law sent me, I I didn't even notice this, in the video where the coach slaps his hand away. Like the video on uh, Sports Center is like LeBron coaching his team. Now, or you could say there's a player who's hurt who's trying to control the game still and he wants to be on super Sa- stoop sports center sorry <laughs> while he's hurt and you see the coach slap his hand away you're not the coach of this team you don't know what's going on here now lebron's an incredible athlete and he's smarter than any other basketball player when he's on the floor so i don't doubt that when he's off the floor he's got great advice for the other guys who are on the floor and he could see the game really well from that perspective i'm just saying the narrative that they create of oh this is so awesome and then he's going to come back and cry if they don't win a bunch of games. Now, I do think they're better positioned this year because of a guy like Westbrook to win a bunch of games even when LeBron is out. And I did say going into the year, AD was going to be the big difference maker on this team. And so far, that's what it looks like. AD, he's on the floor about 15 times a game. But as long as he's scoring 35 a game, I don't think they care. And he is an incredible talent. And I think that's the one thing that people aren't going to look at, at this on this team. They're going to talk about the older guys. They're going to talk about LeBron. AD is really the key to this team because he is the superstar who is still in his prime and still capable of taking over games and making a real difference. And I think he has the ability to do that. Now with the Nets, something that I've always loved about James Harden is he invented his own way to play basketball. Um, It's what endeared me to him. He's one of one. Nobody else was like him. The way he drove to the rim and got the fouls, his step back, his little dance, little game that he played, his ability to kick it out to the corner or... Kick it out from anywhere, or throw up an alley oop to Capella. Those games that he played in Houston were so incredible. His quickness, his speed off the dribble, his quick first step, and then a step back if he needed to. If the defender took a step back, he would step back and shoot the three. If the stepper, if the defender tried to step up on him, he went right around him. And then if another guy came, he either kicked it out or threw it up an alley oop or got to the rim. And obviously the fouls. All anyone wants to talk about right now is the fouls. He's not going to get the calls. He's not going to get the calls. He's not going to get the calls. Yes, he's probably not going to get the calls that he was getting. I don't think that matters. I think this guy is so special. He found a loophole. He found a rule that was flawed, and he decided, I'm going to exploit it. I'm going to make a mockery out of this rule to the point that the league had to change the rule. That's incredible. That's what the great players do. Now, James Harden is 100% capable, if he wants to invent a new way to play the game, invent another way. He invented a new way that we hadn't seen before. He can do it again. Why not? But I don't know if he wants to. And that's the biggest question. James Harden looks incredibly out of shape. You would have thought maybe last year he was trying to force his way out of Houston. He was out of shape. He still looks like the same roly poly guy like you thought coming into this year that he would have changed. Now you have a legitimate chance. You've never won a championship. Now you have a legitimate chance to win. You're with probably the best player in the world today in the league no disrespect to Giannis who might be the best player in basketball today but you're either with the best one or one a player in the NBA right now on your team and it's an incredible chance there's good surrounding pieces you have a coach it's been a year we saw how they looked when they looked really good together you don't need Kyrie Irving to win necessarily and The fact that he's not taking that seriously and he's not trying harder, like, oh my God, I want to be here. I want to be a great player. I want to be one of the two real superstars in the game on one team. That's just astonishing to me. And maybe he just doesn't want it. Maybe he just doesn't care anymore. And he's had his illustrious career. And he's going to say, yeah, in the playoffs, in the end, this is what I talked about. The regular season, they don't care that much. We'll try hard in the playoffs because our talent is better than your talent and the playoffs will still win. And that might be very well and true. They might win. Lakers and Nets both but it just bothers me that he doesn't care can he adjust can he make that adjustment yes does he need to shoot the free throws to be a great player no he invented a way to play he can do it again but i don't know if he wants to as far as the heat listen we can't disregard them i disregarded them all off season i disregarded them on my last episode they made it to the finals we all talked about how that was a fluke um tyler hero is a gym player you know He's not a really good NBA player, but they've held on to this guy for a long time. They're not including him in any of the trade packages. The Heat obviously really think this guy is really good. So maybe they will go to the finals again. But what I talked about early in the year, Kyle Lowry hears the criticism. Bam Out of hears the criticism. Jimmy Butler here's the criticism. Same for Hero and Duncan. Those guys are going to try really hard. Same goes for the Bulls. The Bulls are a bunch of new guys coming in with new energy. Now I do think Zach Levine might not be on this team if this starts to go sideways and they're playing the Knicks tonight. And I hope it goes, starts to go sideways tonight. Knicks and Bulls, let's go Knicks um, for first place in the Eastern Conference um, a week into the season. But I do think if that starts to go sideways, we'll see Zach Levine moved maybe for future pieces and maybe something that could help them now. I do think he is the best player on this team. I just don't know how much he fits this team with a guy like DeMar DeRozan, Vucevic, and obviously Lonzo Ball is the guy who can share the ball, but I really think the ball needs to be in the hands of Ball in order for that offense to work. And a couple of guys who can create their own shots late in shot clock situations, that's fine. Maybe they get someone else who's more of just a pure scorer, maybe a D and three guy, and they could get a lot, recoup some of those picks that they had to give away in the Vucevic trade or in the DeRozan trade. Get some of that back for Levine if they start to look longer term, they do have Levine for a few more years. That might make sense. Another thing I thought about in the Eastern conference is how many teams have a duo that's better or as good as Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. When I saw them at the garden, now obviously Jalen Brown went nuts and Jason Tatum was bottled up by, uh, RJ Barrett that night. Although when he tried to go to the rim, he was unstoppable. And that's uh, Bill Simmons, big thing with him. He's, I don't understand why he doesn't just try to get to the rim. It'll open up the rest of his game. And maybe he's right. Bill Simmons says this all the time that Tatum just has to go to the rim, go to the rim, go to the rim, because it'll just open up everything else up for him because he's basically unstoppable when he goes to the rim. And that was where RJ Barrett did struggle with him. But when he was taking these deep shots, step backs, threes, all that, he wasn't hitting. But Jalen Brown looked like an absolute superstar. That three, like obviously the Knicks made a bunch of mistakes down the stretch in game one of the season. But those shots that Jalen Brown was hitting, that first three that he's on the logo with nine seconds left, and he knocks down that three to make it a one-point game, that's an insane shot. Like, I was sitting there shocked in my seat. I was like, wait, what? They actually, how'd they tie the game? And I was like, wow, because that was a three because that shot was nuts. Like, to me, it was like a given that the Knicks were winning. I was getting ready to leave. And then when they tied it at the buzzer, I was like, wait, what? Because that three beforehand was just such a crazy shot by Jalen Brown. I mean, that shot was nuts. I was videoing. To video the end of the game. I was like, hey, okay, this game's over, but no, that shot was absolutely nuts. Jalen Brown is one of the most talented guys in the NBA. If you look at the teams, Miami, I guess they have Bam and Jimmy. Are they as good as Tatum and Brown? Maybe the 76ers have Embiid. Oh, wait, Ben Simmons isn't around. Where is he? Right? Although, I have a whole theory about Tobias Harris. Tobias Harris. Um, I think, is the best player on this team or maybe at least second to best player on this team. He had a, like a really quiet triple-double. Now, I know the Knicks were doubling Joel Embiid, and maybe that's why, and they didn't have RJ guarding Tobias Harris a lot of the game. But Tobias Harris scores with ease. He's a great passer. I think they should be running the offense through him, and they're like scared. They want Embiid to... like. It's such a head case. I've talked about this so many times, how you can't build a team predicated on losing. The, the, the um, tank mentality or whatever you want to call it, the trust the process mentality is so flawed because you just end up with a bunch of guys with a losing mentality like Embiid. And I think Embiid is so caught up in his own head and he's getting double teamed and he's forcing shots up. I think if they had a way that they could run the team, and Doc Rivers should be able to figure this out if he's the great coach everyone claims he is. I just don't think he is. I mean, I think Tobias Harris is not being used correctly. Obviously, Harden and KD, back to my other point, are better than Tatum and Brown. Steph and Clay, but we don't know what Clay is. LeBron and AD definitely Paul George is, but no Kawhi Leonard. And Booker and CP3 is definitely on his back end. And Booker, is he as good or better than Tatum and Brown, either one of them? I don't know. So why do they suck? Like I thought like the whole thing was Brad Stevens is the one who messed them up. And now he's gone, so they could really learn how to play together. And we're going to make Marcus Smart our point guard and Jeff Teague, and they're going to make this all work. And it's a real question for me why this team, obviously against the Knicks, they look good, but they haven't really looked that good since. Why is this team not at the level that they should be? This should be a top two to three team in the Eastern Conference, and they're not. And maybe over the course of the season, they will figure it out, and they'll prove me wrong. Um, The last thing I want to talk about before I head into football is the stupid 75 list. Now, this is just content creation. They want to create chaos. They want the game to be talked about. It's early in the NBA season. There's not a whole lot to talk about. You know, you get excited the first week and then it kind of hits a lull. It's an 82-game season, blah, blah, blah. LeBron's going to be taking games off. Other guys are going to be taking games off. Not the Knicks, but other guys are going to be taking games off. And so the NBA knows that. So they know all the talk shows. If we put out this 75 list, Mellow should be on it and Mellow shouldn't be on it. Clay Thompson, I want to be on it. It doesn't matter. None of it matters. It's a list about nothing. It's a meaningless list. Now, I know for a guy like Bill Simmons, who I love, who usually doesn't get in the weeds with these things, he's a guy who obviously you know, he is an NBA purist. He is an NBA history nerd. He loves the NBA history. So he wants to talk about this. He's a guy who has a vote. But for me, I'm not really going to waste too much time talking about this NBA list because I just think that's the whole point of it. The whole point of it is that people talk about it. That's why they created it. And there's nothing really to talk about it because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. Um, it's just for guys like Stephen A so that they'll have something to talk about on their show or Colin Cowherd or any of that. Well, luckily, I don't do a daily show. Um, I would love to. I hope that's in my future one day. But as of now, I don't do a daily show, so I really don't feel the need to talk about whether Carmelo Anthony or Dwight Howard should be or should not be on this list. All right, that's all I got for the NBA. I'm going to come back with more football stuff in a second. For the second straight week, I officially quit fantasy football. It's the worst. Um, Last week, I got killed by uh, Derek Henry. But for the second straight week, I won the trophy of most points in a loss in my league. So back-to-back leagues where back-to-back weeks where I scored the most points of anyone who lost. That's not a great trophy to have. Thursday night football starts tonight. It's Green Bay and Arizona. I thought this was going to be a great matchup. They've had some incredible uh, playoff matchups. I don't love Arizona. I think that Arizona is not as good as everyone's giving them credit for. Um, I like Green Bay. I don't know how great they are, but it's the type of game that Aaron Rodgers says, oh, I want to win this game because I want to shut everyone up. Arizona, you think you're so great. But then COVID hit, and Devontae Adams being out with COVID is a huge difference in this game. I didn't see the line shift that much, maybe because I had already picked it. It was Arizona minus 5.5, and and I loved the number. I loved Green Bay. I thought Green Bay is actually going to win this game. Now I'm a little bit scared. I still took the plus 5.5. I took the points with the Packers. J.J. Watt is the type of guy, by the way, he's always mic'd up. He's always in NFL season promos and videos and commercials. He's always in the media talking and He's a big trash talker and all that. He hasn't been an impact player in years. The guy had an incredible career. He's hurt again. He's out for the year again. Just retire at this point. Like, You, you had a great career. It's okay to just say, okay, my body couldn't keep up with it anymore. It's a tough game to play. It's a tough sport. Um, so I don't understand why he refuses to give up at this point. I mean, I get it. I get the competitive drive. But I don't understand why the league hangs on to him and gives him this aura of greatness when he's well over the hill. Um, the Falcons and the Carolina Panthers are on Sunday. Um, and the the Falcons are favored by minus two and a half. And I'm going to take them. Listen, I don't think the Falcons are great, but the Panthers, it was cute while it lasted. I think it's fair to say Darnold is done. Um, it's a sad day for me. I was a guy who loved him at USC. I obviously, had high hopes for him at the Jets when he started the season. Uh well, I really was like I was happy for him more than anything. Everyone talks about oh, it's the Jets, <laughs> he leaves the Jets. I didn't care about any of that stuff. I just, you know, was happy for a guy who I thought was a talented guy who was ruined by a bad team. Now I still think he was ruined by the team because you see he gets happy feet when he doesn't have to, and that's a product of having a bad offensive line and just learning bad mannerisms and bad habits. Um, and maybe there's a guy out there who can fix him because he's still so talented. Um and people are gonna take a chance on him, but I think with Carolina, it's over. It's safe to say Darnold is done, and I'm going to take Atlanta and the minus two and a half. Another Sunday game is the Rams and the Texans. This number is huge. I talk about not taking huge numbers, but when the team is actually really good, you can take the number. So minus 14 and a half. Do you think the Rams are going to win by more than two touchdowns? I think they'll win by 20 points, maybe 30 points. The Rams are really good. The Texans are really, really bad they hung with some teams. They hung with some teams against Arizona. Part of why you think Arizona is maybe not as great as we think they are, but I just don't think they have the ability to put up points. And I think Aaron Donald's going to be in their face all day. So uh, I'm going to take the Rams minus 14 and a half, huge number now from one LA team to another LA team, the chargers coming off a bye week and previously a bad loss to the Ravens where they just look terrible. I think they just look terrible. I think um, Justin Herbert had the second to worst game of his career. Uh, That's not going to happen again. I don't think the Patriots are quite as good as everyone thinks. Now, obviously, the Patriots beat them. What was it? 40 nothing last year. Um, The Patriots just crushed the Jets, but they're the Jets. Uh, I'm going to take the Chargers. LA strong on both of those. Um, All right. The Titans and the Colts. Now, this could be a letdown game for the Titans, obviously, because They were so, everyone was so down on them to start the year. And then they have a couple of huge wins where it's just like, oh my God, the Titans are insane. They're back. Now I do think the Colts are kind of coming out of it. They're becoming a little bit better. I don't trust Carson Wentz and I do trust Derrick Henry. And that's what it comes down to. Derrick Henry, as the game goes on, gets better and better and everyone else is getting worse and more tired and he just wears them out. And I do think this is going to be a close game. I think the line is good. It's one and a half for Tennessee. So I will take them. I think they could win by a field goal. I think that's the type of game that it's going to be. I do think it's going to be close. I think people are going to come off this game saying, hey, the Colts are actually pretty good. Um, And obviously, if there's a game to look good for Carson Wentz, it's going to be against this Tennessee defense that still isn't good, although they shut down Mahomes last week. Um, And we'll talk about that a little bit later. But I will take the Tennessee Titans because I am taking Derrick Henry over Carson Wentz. I'm looking at the best player on each team and saying, I want that guy. Now, the Bengals and the Jets, (laughs) uh, here's the deal. I'm officially out. Like, I'm starting to get nervous. I'm starting to get to the point where I'm actually pissed. Coming into the year, it was all positive. It was, hey, listen, yeah, the Jets haven't been great, but all you got to do is just keep the young guy healthy, go play some games, win some football, blah, 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 all that stuff. I'm done with that. I'm so done with that. The Jets have given me no reason for hope, no reason for anything. They just continuously disappoint me. I don't know why I expected any different. And now... Zach Wilson is out for who knows how long. The line's minus 10 and a half, in case you're wondering. And I don't think the Bengals are all that great, although they're the best team in the AFC right now. And this could be a letdown game for the Bengals where the Jets maybe keep it close. No, I don't care. The Bengals are going to win by 20 points, 30 points, minus 10 and a half. Take all the points you want. Listen, Mike Davis or whoever the hell the quarterback is, it doesn't matter. Mike White. They're not winning that game. Um, And this is my first real concern with the Jets this year. Woody Johnson did not pick J.D., Joe Douglas was not taken by Woody Johnson. And we've we've seen this so many times. Is Woody and JD are or are, are Woody and JD on the same page? We know this happens where I talked about the cycle. The coach hires the guy, and then the, the coach fires one guy, and then his the next GM hires the next guy. And it goes that circle, that 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 just never-ending loop of coaches and GMs who are not hired at the same time. And this is another instance where the coach and the GM were not hired at the same time. Now I think they're generally on the same page. But Woody Johnson reads the media. He listens to the media. He reads Twitter. He sees what was being said. And guess what was being said last week? This is why the Jets should have gotten a veteran quarterback in the room. Now, I don't think Joe Douglas thought they needed a veteran quarterback. Clearly, he didn't think so. But he made this, makes this trade for a guy, Joe Flacco, who's probably not going to play a single snap for this team. If Mike White is like even remotely decent at all, Joe Flacco is not going to play a single snap. And you really, you traded for that guy? I don't think that has anything to do with Joe Douglas. That's just not, that doesn't seem like a Joe Douglas thing to do, trading away a draft pick for that. I think that's pressure from Woody Johnson. And that's a real concern if the owner is starting to meddle again. And maybe if this season goes absolutely haywire, like it's starting to look like it might, JD might be gone. And now you're looking for a new GM, and the new GM might not like the new coach. Now, I I just want to get out in front of that, but because that's my biggest concern of what's going on over here. Now, I do think at the same time, um, The Jets have an issue. You have to build your scheme to your players. You can't fit your players into your scheme. Now, the real good coordinators, uh, Josh McDaniels in New England is great at this. Now, with the Jets system right now, they're new, right? It's a new offensive coordinator. It's a new head coach. They're trying to learn these things. So I do think they'll learn these things over time. They're not dumb. They're obviously no football. They're smart. It's been five games. I think they can figure that out, but they do have to figure out because the reason I'm saying this is because Mike White might play play better than Zach Wilson did the last few weeks. That's a very big possibility because maybe he's a better fit for LaFleur's offense. And LaFleur, all he has to do is look at that and say, you know what? I have to fit my offense better to my franchise quarterback, which is Zach Wilson, not Mike White. That's not going to be a problem. I don't want to see the headlines next week. Mike White is better than Zach Wilson. Look at that. I don't want to see that next week. All I want to see is that, hey, this is a guy who's like, oh, my God, this scheme fits better for this quarterback, which means I need to fit a scheme that's better for my real franchise quarterback. That's all. So I'm getting out in front of that now. I do think the coaches, they're also rookies, just like we're giving Zach Wilson time. You got to give the coaches some time. And I do think they will figure that out until I'm proven otherwise. And right now, five games, not enough to prove me otherwise. All right, Tampa and the Saints, the line is minus four and a half. I guess maybe because it's in New Orleans. The Saints should be looking at the quarterback market. Everyone's talking about who's gonna trade for Deshaun Watson, who's gonna sh- trade for Deshaun Watson. The Saints should trade for Deshaun Watson. Now I, I had the game, I was watching the Manning cast on Monday night, so I was distracted by how terrible both quarterbacks play. But Jameis Winston, ninety five percent of the time, is an absolute bonehead terrible quarterback. Now, five percent of the time, he's looks like more talented than anyone else in the league, and that's what's kept him having a job in the league to this point. But That 5% is not enough for them to win games. If they just threw it, screen passes to Alvin Kamara a thousand times, they actually would have been better off in that game. I don't know why they didn't do that, though, because Jameis is just not the answer at quarterback. Now, another big story, and obviously there's nothing left to say about Tom Brady. I said that at the beginning of the year. He did get his 600th career touchdown, which is incredible. No one's ever done it. Uh... But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the fan who got fleeced by Brady on that trade. Now, I wrote an article on conduct uh, conduct detrimental that he may actually have a law case against Tom Brady. He may have a suit, he may have a claim, um, this fan, because he got fleeced so bad. That ball might be worth a million dollars. I heard someone else say last night um, on Jerry Coleman's show on 105.7 The Fan in Baltimore, uh, a guy who is a professional when it comes to sports memorabilia and all that stuff. So. If that was worth about a million dollars, I don't care that your Bitcoin is worth 60K. Um, that guy got fleeced. And obviously, once he handed the ball over, like Brady said on Monday night, he had no leverage. But at the same time, um, that's the bigger story only because there's nothing left to say about Brady. So a friend of mine texted me. He's like, why is no one talking about how amazing Brady is? Why is everyone talking about this stupid story? Because there's nothing left to say about Brady. We know how incredible he is. Like, we, We've ran out of things to say. We've ran out of superlatives." I don't think I pronounced that word correctly at all. Um, Superlatives. I have no idea. Um, Dallas and the Vikings. Again, I'm Israeli. Uh, I don't speak English correctly or good. Um, Dallas is favored by minus two and a half. I'm actually going to take the Vikings. The Vikings love making statement wins in the regular season. And when I say the Vikings, I mean Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins loves making statement wins in the regular season. So he's going to make another statement win. Um, Dallas is due for a letdown I think the fact that they let the Patriots in that game and let that game go to overtime is a sign that maybe they're not as great as we think I do think Dallas is the best team in that in that division although I think Mm -hmm. them losing this week will open up the door for everyone to start talking about hey maybe the Giants actually can win the division maybe the Redskins can actually win the division maybe Philly can actually win the division I do think Dallas will win the division and they're really good they're five and one right now but I feel a letdown game. I don't know why it's a gut feeling. So I'm taking Minnesota and the points plus two and a half. I wish it was three and a half, but it's two and a half. I'll take Minnesota anyway. And the real reason I think this is going to be a big win for Minnesota so that they'll have a letdown game against Baltimore next week. Baltimore never loses coming off the bye. They have a bye week this week. I think they'll crush Minnesota coming off a win this week. All right. The Cleveland Browns are minus three and a half against the Steelers. You all know how I feel. About the Steelers. That's just more how I feel about the Steelers than how I feel about the Browns. I think the Browns, even with Case Keenum, I don't think the quarterback is making a huge difference on that team. I think that team is extremely talented all around. Um, The Detroit Lions are plus three and a half against the Philadelphia Eagles. I see now here 61% of the money is on the Lions. The Lions are the best 0-7 football team ever. They've hung in so many close games, whether it was with the Rams or with the Ravens, some of the best teams in the league. And you have the Detroit Lions hanging right with them. Early in the season, they kind of hung with the Packers for a half a game or three quarters of that game. I think Jalen Hurts is an idiot. Um, something with Philadelphia and quarterbacks who I call idiots because I called Carson Wentz an idiot on here. Or maybe it was on Twitter. Jalen Hurts has obviously talent, but you got to figure out how to teach a kid what to do and what not to do on a football field. He makes plays that remind me of a young Geno Smith sometimes. Like when you're in field goal range and you take a sack on third down to knock you out, you just a lack of awareness or throwing the ball away on a fourth down play is the type of thing he'd do. Stuff that just makes you think, oh, this guy is really in over his head. All right, Buffalo is minus 13 and a half. I think Miami is in a full uh, spiral downhill implosion. So I think Buffalo will cover that game minus 13 and a half. They'll win by a couple touchdowns at least. Chicago Bears are plus three and a half against San Francisco. Now, San Francisco, I would thought was overhyped before the season started. And then the season started and I was like, hey, this team's actually pretty good. And now I think they're overhyped again. And I think I was right all along. They had one good year, if you think about it. And they went to the Super Bowl that year. And that's what was really impressive. But under Shanahan, what else did they have? Where else is the track record? of Oh, my God, this guy's one of the best minds in football. He's such a good coach. Blah, blah, blah. People compare him to McVay and all those guys. I don't think he's at that level. Where, where, Where's the proof? Where where do we see that, that he's been at that level? I don't think it's there. So I don't think San Francisco is that good. I think Chicago will actually beat them or at least keep it close within a field goal. Seattle and the Jaguars. Again, I saw that Monday night football game. That was so painful to watch from Geno Smith. I don't think Seahawks, the Seahawks' defense is that good. Their offense is obviously not that good. Plus three and a half, I think the Jaguars actually are starting to get hot at the perfect time. I think somebody, a coworker of mine said today, you think uh, Urban Meyer was the one who leaked those John Gruden emails. He's like, oh my God, get off my back with all your takes. Just just here, I was on that email thread. I loved that email thread. It was really fun. I think maybe he was working for the SAC network at the time. could be he was on that email thread. Boom, here, here's a new story for you guys to talk about. I think that's a great theory. Um, and I think Jacksonville's actually, you know, now they're a little bit less in the spotlight. I think they're actually working some things out and they're starting to get a little bit better um, and I think three and a half is a huge number for the Seahawks, even for a young quarterback going into uh, Seattle and playing in that crazy crowd. Um, I still think the Jacksonville Jaguars could win. That's just how bad I think the Seahawks are. Um, the other game that Denver stinks, Washington stinks. I don't know. I think it's the type of thing if Washington wins and Dallas loses, we're gonna be like, Hey, don't count Washington out, like I said before. I have Denver minus two, but I don't feel great about that pick. And Monday Night Football, we have the Chiefs and the Giants. Now, enough with the Chiefs love. Now, I get that at any point. We can't give a small number. It's minus nine and a half. We can never give a small number to Patrick Mahomes because Mahomes is still special. He has the ability to to at any point put up a ton of points. Now, their defense sucks. I think Daniel Jones should run all over them. He should pass all over them. He'll be really good. But um, I I get it. The Chiefs have Patrick Mahomes. They have one of the most special quarterbacks we've ever seen. That's great. But at the same time, I don't understand why week after week, we still give them these huge numbers and still give them a ton of respect when we just haven't seen it this year. We haven't seen anything remotely close to this. So I don't think the Giants will win this game. But I think nine and a half is a huge number for the Chiefs to cover. I think they'll win maybe by a field goal or a touchdown. And it's going to be more of us questioning. Is this team really that good? All right. That's all for the pod. That's all. Thank you for listening. Subscribe, follow, do all those great things. Follow me on Twitter, Instagram, at RamiLevy, Rami.Lavi, Rami underscore Levy. I'll see you next next time. See ya.